0: Hello, tabletop war gamers, and welcome to Tried and True, a podcast hosted by the Delaware War Machine community. Join us as we dive deep into topics around our favorite games, exploring methods and techniques proven to enhance anyone's gaming experience. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the thirteenth episode of Tried and True. I am your host, Paul. I'm Dan. I'm Andy. And I'm Erica. On this special bonus episode, we are going to be talking about Mark IV, and we are joined by Craig and Brandon from Warjax. Say hi, guys.
1: Hey, everybody. Um, hey, what's up?
0: What we wanted to do is uh, have them on. We actually had Dan and Erica on Warjax episode 40 a couple weeks back, and we wanted to return the favor and talk about Mark IV. Woo! Yeah, I know, right? It was, like, super exciting. What we wanted to do is, uh, you know, go ahead and thank Gonzo from More Than Dice for giving us an additional platform to be able to go share the good news. Uh f- if you want to follow us on youtube you know subscribe and like to all the good videos see the bat reps and uh, speaking of subscribers on youtube we actually just hit uh, our, our 500 subscriber goal uh, just this past weekend Congrats. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, it was like super exciting news. So uh, the Frozen Forge raffle has already been uh, started. We've already reached out to the winners who ended up getting it. Uh, So just check out the comments. Some of our winners ended up not having their emails in there. So, you know, just make sure to update your email. We're giving you a week per the document guidelines. And then uh, finally, we want to just thank all the patrons on Patreon for giving us their support. Now, what I wanted to do is go into the episode now. Craig and Brandon and Sean, you know, from Warjacks, already had a great Mark IV episode, and it seems like everybody and their mother and like all these other podcasts, even people who don't play War Machine, are doing their hot takes on it. So, what I just wanted to do was actually just have that opportunity to, you know, us talk about Mark IV, but to kind of do a hot take version of it. Now, before we get into it, uh, Craig. I have to say, when I listened to the episode, how did you get Melorian on there? Like would, would you just like talking to him one day and he was just like, Yeah, sure, I'll I'll come on your episode. Like it, it was so random. I did not even expect it to happen.
2: Yeah, so we we've kept loosely in touch since his, you know, soft quotes entire retirement. So the morning after I think the rules dropped, he had DM'd me on Discord. Just like checking in, you know, we were sharing our thoughts and I was like, hey, man, you should just come on the podcast and, and talk to us about it. And I didn't think he would say yeah. And he was like, yeah, that'd be fun. I was like, OK, cool. We'll make it like a surprise thing. So I didn't tell Brandon or Sean and uh, we just kind of coordinated it. and He popped on. Yeah,
0: I have to say when you ended up saying like or whenever he said like, welcome to the worst War Machine channel, I was like, oh, my God, like he's here. Yeah, yeah I mean, like I, I was not expecting it. I don't think anybody was. It, it was such a nice surprise. Yeah,
3: definitely he's got a, a pretty tight, tight intro line. Yeah.
0: Mm hmm. Yeah, I've I've been a fan of his stuff. And, you know, every now and then I'll go ahead and like look at one like the older videos. And, you know, I it was just really cool. It was really great to uh, listen to him. And, you know, I know you said about the soft retirement. I I hope at some point he comes back. I, you know, I I definitely think the community could definitely use uh, his awesome insight and, you know, a great guy. What I wanted to do on this episode, though, right, because, again, as I said, everybody has already talked about Mark IV. Well, we wanted to do a hot takes on Mark IV instead of, like, going through the whole document like everyone else has done. But even before doing that, I think what would be really cool is a retrospective look from, like, Mark I to Mark II and then Mark II to three, and three to four, et cetera, and just to kind of, like, see, like, the major beats that ended up happening in each edition. And I think we'll actually go ahead and start with Erica. And for the sake of your sanity and ours, I'm going to be like emceeing. So, you know, certain people will talk at certain times. So Erica, can you actually start by like talking about the history of like Mark one and what it was like, you know, again, like, as I mentioned, in uh Swinkle's episode, right, where like Death Jack would just like charge your caster. So can you just provide your insight on that?
4: uh sure so i guess as the most senior player here god i'm old um okay so it was the early 2000s and this um at the time i was just getting into tabletop wargaming anyway um a bunch of guys started playing war machine i hopped on hordes i think the first primal book came out in like 2006 2007 around that time um so started playing circle mark one was an interesting time um so when we talk about different iterations of the game. So I am a Mark I player. So some of the uh, more outrageous rules that we had back in the day, models had this lovely rule called abomination. Doom readers had it where they scared not just your opponent, but friendly units as well. So you had to be really careful where you put those those models in the game. Uh, models would flee the table. That was always fun. Others uh, command checks. So uh, similar to Warhammer games, every time your unit hit 50%, you would have to make a command check based off the command of your unit. Circle units back in the day had very low command, so my units constantly fled the board, and every time you hit a new 50% threshold check, you would have to make a new command check. The Death Jack rule that Paul you know hit it off to at the start. If you did not uh, allocate a focus to Death Jack, he would charge your Warcaster and attack your Warcaster until you put focus on it. So a common um, tool was to uh, mess with Death Jack in a way where he couldn't accumulate focus and now you have a heavy jack that's trying to kill your own caster. So to be completely transparent, I really didn't play a whole lot in Mark Two. So I'm coming as a Mark One, miss most of two, coming to three. And I have to say that Each time this game has gone through a transition, I feel like it's been positive. So some of those crazy rules that were in the game, like people running their Doom Reavers, you know, feeding with Vlad too, and running the Doom Reavers like 20 inches across the table to scare your opponent's army off the board, like that stuff isn't in the game anymore, which is a big plus. Yeah, I just, and again, um, War Machine isn't the only tabletop game that I play, so AOS right now, right there in there, 3.0, and out of the previous editions that have come out, the game has gotten better, so I'd like to, I'm going into Mark IV, very optimistic, and one of the big things I'm most excited for, personally, is being able to kind of do this soft reset on the field for all of our players, both our veteran and our new players, Kind of starting over without having to jump on a brand new IP. So I'm super excited about about that. Yeah, I think that'll help bring our community more together rather than be a polarizing uh, thing.
0: Yeah. Hey, Dan, do you mind even go ahead and explain your experience of Mark II? Because I think you played Mark II the longest, and then Craig and Brandon. I know you you joined in right at the tail end of it. So if you don't mind,
3: sure. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Eric, I wouldn't say that. Going to Mark II got rid of Doom Reavers running at you and making your units panic. In fact, it it kind of gave gave the uh, game one of the most iconic lists that I've ever had. You know, Kator had uh, they introduced uh, things called theme forces in Mark II, and almost nobody played them. But every once in a while, you'd find one that was really the cream of the crop. And you know, being able to put an unlimited amount of Doom Reavers on the field and you know, doubled and tripled down on those command checks could really punish certain armies. And uh, mostly the game didn't get too much of an overhaul from Mark 1 to Mark 2, but they did fix a lot of some of uh, uh, what were seen as, uh, you know, really punishing or kind of game-breaking mechanics. And you saw changes like uh, Sorsha could only win rush once per turn instead of an unlimited not- times per turn and be anywhere on the board. So I think they were reining the game back into a more... Uh, reliable aesthetic in, in terms of the rules. Like you could expect certain certain things and you could count on certain things a little bit more and there wasn't, you know, some crazy stuff. But, you know, my history for War Machine starts in about 2010 and I've been playing ever since. So I went through most of set Mark II and overall there were just things that were super clunky. Like, you know, you couldn't really even run Kador Warjacks as well as cast upkeep spells on your first turn, which was always kind of an issue. So in Mark II, my last thoughts on it are that, um, there were a lot of traps you could fall into when building a, a list uh, for the game, because you could take any army and throw it together, any unit from your faction, and they could all exist together. Um, but it was easy to make mistakes doing that. Um, and you know, if you weren't picking the right choice of unit to go along and support your army in a certain way, you know, it would drastically affect how your army could perform. Um, and that's one of the key things that they changed when they transitioned to Mark III. And I can go into how those things were patched up later, but I, I'm i interested in hearing what uh, the Warjacks guys have to say about their Mark II experience. Go ahead, Breezy.
1: Sure. Um, so that's where I started the game. It was like 2013. We had a local store that was huge magic, huge war machine and hordes. And they kind of talked me into it because they're like, you could pay like a couple hundred bucks and your army's good to go, right? It's not like magic, doesn't rotate. And I remember Mark II, like, it, so the worst things are some of the things Eric said, right? Like the, um, the fear check, things like that. But I, from what I understand, like in Mark II, it put a little more focus on like the war machine, like the beast and the warjack aspect, I think that's when your caster got warjack points. And also it chilled out the cost of everything, right? Like it went from a uh, Warhammer hundreds of points to like, we played what, 35 and 50 in Mark II. So now when I used to play though, we'd have like no terrain on our tables <laughs> and I don't even think we played with scenarios, but I do believe Mark two is when steamroller came out. So I think there was still the biggest problem. If you want to call it a problem in Mark two is that they still had, um, you could not pre-measure. You could only measure your caster's control area. So Mark two had a, still had a lot of those problems of, um, if you want to call them problems, like, cause this is probably a big improvement from one, but just of like better players. Getting to kind of gotcha more than the newer editions. Like, I feel like going forward from two, they, they get those things lower and lower each. Like, you get a better chance to compete the newer you are.
2: Yeah. So, my story is pretty similar to Brandon's. Actually, that's how we met was during, it, I guess this was probably the last what, like, Six months, maybe a year of Mark II is when I started playing, and uh, we met at our local game store. It's interesting to think about the addition change because, like, at that time, I played very casually. Brandon and I played very casually. Like, it wasn't, we were not like in this deep as we are now. I mean, I would had no problems with Mark II. I think the appeal to me, like how I got started in it is I read online somewhere, some forum. It might have even been the privateer press forums, but someone was like, oh, it's like magic with models. And I was like, that's sick. Like, sign me up that's all I want and then um it kind of was it also you know it also kind of isn't but so I had no issues like at the time I wasn't even like analyzing rules or you know asking myself like if I thought this was good or not I just accepted it at face value for what it was I was like oh yeah this is the game this is how you play it and then when we transitioned from two to three same same thing right like I had no no issues with it and in in my mind I was like oh it's just going to be better because it's newer and more up to date but there was a, a lot of things that changed um, you know that we've already mentioned i remember like the you know if you sh- were shooting into melee you had to like check to see like if you missed the target you had to see if you shot your own guy mm-hmm. stuff like that
0: yeah i think even that rule made it its way into mark 3 and now going into mark 3 i'd like for you know erica andy and I, actually it's just all of us to talk about it i mean it, erica and andy we we ended up playing on the ping pong table to begin with right
4: or we played on that uh what do we had before we had real furniture we had like, oh god uh, we, with the patio the lawn, furniture the in patio our dining, furniture room.
0: The dining yeah.
5: room yeah. Yeah, I think we, what, what what year did we pick, was it like 2016, 2017 when it's Theme when Machine was, was being out. announced?
4: Whenever Grimkin came out.
5: Yeah, Erica saw Grimkin get announced and she was like, I'm buying all of that. That is mine now. So she dragged me along with it uh, at the beginning of Theme Machine, I guess, uh, when themes were just starting to come out. And I hopped back and forth between a couple different factions before I fell in love with Protectorate. And then I bought that entire faction because that's what you do. I don't have a ton of experience from before that time period i think a lot of the rules i got to experience were like already in the polished period where everything a lot already kind of made sense a lot of the time so i don't i don't think i've experienced the pains going between different versions of the game as much as a lot of everybody else has
4: One of the things, I guess, the differences between Andy and myself, I guess Paul, too, to a certain extent, is your expectations of time. This isn't going to be a quick rollover. We're looking at least, I would say, minimum, realistically speaking, two years after this thing launches before it feels um, more fleshed out and smooth. So there's going to be that period, and I would just ask that people who are going through this for the first time acknowledge that and know that that is something to to be expected. But just to go back to when Brandon and Craig and even Dan, when they were mentioning stuff in Mark II, like for me as a Mark I player, I completely forgot. It was like, yeah, there was no pre-measuring back in the day because it was so like outrageous, you know. And it's been so removed from the core mechanic of the game. Um, so moving forward, that's kind of you know where my head is in the game with all of this where it's eventually we may be having this conversation again 6 8 years down the line and we're going to have some big you know epiphany change in mark 4 that 3 has and it's like oh yeah yeah for real that game did have that back in the day
0: and i'd like to go ahead and put my own two piece in on this yeah that's when i started to play and you know i Played for a while to get to the level that I at least felt competent enough as, as the player that I am right now. But, you know, there's a lot of things that I had to learn and discipline myself in order to. Quote unquote, get good at Mark 3. And I guess that this would be a great transition into Mark 4 because some of the changes that they decided to make. I mean, well, if we're talking about the rules, it seems that the change that they're making is only helping the game and making it more friendly moving forward. So, what I wanted to do is get like some insight with uh craig if you don't mind can you kind of talk about like what you think about like the changes uh going forward like what do you think it's going to go do for newer players or or people experiencing this game
2: yeah i think uh i mean we'll get into it i reckon but there's definitely a lot of things that are like you see them and you're like yep that makes total sense i'm here for it you know i i think there's already like big big things that have been improved upon greatly.
1: Yeah, for sure. So it's funny because I went from just not knowing how I was going to feel about it a few days ago to, like, I would say a spicy take of, like, I think for just from the excitement I have for it, I have, like, I have the thought that it's going to be better. Um, and we just have to play the games and get used to it. And then what
0: about your metas down there? Like how it, was the reception at your stores? Cause we can go into it. We can talk about the receptions in our area, you know, Delaware, Pennsylvania, Maryland, I guess even in New Jersey as well.
4: Hey, really quick before we uh, talk about our metas, uh, congratulations to Warjacks! So you guys just hosted your first steamroller not too long ago. Oh yeah. Congrats. Um, yeah. And that looked nice. uh, your yeah. pictures were awesome. Thank you for sharing that. And I'm so glad that your first event was successful. So congrats.
2: Yeah. Thanks. We, we, we copied your homework and it worked. So
1: thanks. Oh, that's
3: <laughs> that's why we did it. <laughs> yeah, was
1: so successful. So successful, we could not even play in it. Yeah,
5: <laughs> <laughs> that happens a lot. Honestly, yeah, that's
3: we
4: we that's you you know don't you play a lot it. in ours. Yeah,
5: when you start running steamrollers, you you quickly realize
2: that you stop playing the game as much. Unfortunately, <laughs> just how it girls. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, our our meta, you know, we we suffered from I think what everybody suffered from in the Mark two to three transition, like we had a really strong, really active meta in Mark two. And then at the launch of Mark three, it completely dissipated to literally, I think it was just me and Brandon for the longest time. And then as you know, Mark three evolved and kind of grew, Brandon and I started playing more. And then our meta now is is Still very small. You know, you mentioned our Steamroller. We were able to attract some players from other metas in Gainesville and South Georgia and such. But as far as the vibes at the store, so we have two stores locally, uh, one of which does support War Machine uh, very well. It has a nice big wall full of product. The scuttlebutt is he's going to be ordering and has his finger on the pulse for the new product. And I suspect so as far as players go, it's pretty much the same six or seven of us uh, and any given, we, we usually go up there on Thursdays and play. It's usually just me and Sean, right? But there is a group of enthusiastic minis gamers that play, they're just excited about minis, right? So they're playing Monpoc, they're playing Fallout, they're playing, like, if if it has a miniature, they even buy War Machine stuff, they just don't play it much. So I get the feeling that once these new boxes hit the shelves, I can almost guarantee you they're going to scoop it up and try it, which is exciting.
5: Yeah, I know. Our Delaware meta and the Pennsylvania meta are actually two very different environments. Our Delaware meta has a a few last holdouts from Mark II and... But in Delaware, we have we have we have the last couple guys from Ice House who are kind of still hanging around, and they're like, you know, they're the old heads in the meta. But the rest of them in the Delaware meta, any anyway, are are sort of like me, Erica, and Paul, where we joined up in Mark Three and we've been playing for somewhere between a year and five years or something like that. And the, I know the Pennsylvania meta. I know you. Uh, I I know Dan. You've been you've been up there a lot more than we have. But there are a lot of guys who've been doing this a long time, like
3: up in up in pennsylvania is like here there be jank Uh, a lot of those players just love playing really weird stuff and like gotcha casters and things so it's definitely a different feel to it and i i had the same experience that the guys down in florida did when mark two to mark three happened the game kind of crashed in my area so i ended up having to branch out and like with next to no one playing at my local game store i was like going north and south to wherever I could find a game store in a tournament to play in for a while. But since those days, it's been coming roaring back as well.
0: Yeah. And even we have a uh, revitalization down in Maryland, uh, Ryan and Sam and their crew over there. They had a uh, Ryan was a Mark one player that came back into the game. So, you know, he was very excited to find out that pre-measuring was now a thing, which he was like, huh, pre measurings a thing. What a time to be alive. And it just, it warms my heart every single time to think about that. But, uh, and I think like Sam was a brawl machine, only player but the guys seem to be really super excited about the changes going forward to mark 4 so it seems like the overall i guess feeling or the overall mood is that there is some hesitation where there's a mix of hesitation and excitement. And I think it just goes back to, at least that hesitation goes back to, what is it that saying of gamers hate two things, change and the way things are.
4: I would just say too, just um, I guess to mention during the meta part is for us as community leaders, and if you're a community leader at your store, it's really important to be positive and work with your players because this is an intimidating, you know, what if kind of time. So it's important for like you to set the example and, you know, kind of all go through this together and try and avoid the, uh, the, the doom and gloom that, especially from the, uh,
5: especially from the perspective of people who are worried about the invalidation of their models. Like that's a big sticking point for a lot of people. And you're going to have to try and work with that with people to Play the legacy games with them. Like it, you can't let that die.
3: Yeah, take a poll of your players. If they want an unlimited tournament, run it unlimited a tournament. You know, if they want prime tournaments, run prime tournaments. But you know, go with the flow of the community and try to mix it up to make sure that everyone, everyone can compete and everyone can enjoy it.
0: I actually wanted to go back to Erica's point from earlier because I 100% agree with you. As community leaders, we have a responsibility in order to. You know, I mean, we, we're the faces of our of our communities, of our metas, right? If you see the captain jump ship, what's going to happen with the rest of the sailors, right? And 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 these players have really, they they've they've become committed to the game, right? And you know, I I understand that. It's a bit of a scary time, right? Change is a little bit scary, and you know it, we don't know what's going to happen, but I think an optimistic view for what's to come will only help this game and help the communities grow and with that, I think it'd be a great time to transition into the actual article itself now, I- instead of just us you know going through every single point, I just want to highlight a couple of you know, the specific, you know, major beats that were in that document that Matt Wilson posted. And I wanted to start off by saying that I like the fact that he presented these are the different options that we were thinking of. And this is the reason why we went with the option that we're doing right now. It was like X, you know, option one didn't work because X was a factor. Option two didn't work because Y was a factor. And I just liked it because it showed transparency. And it's not like us going to the Facebook message board and saying, Well have you tried doing this? I, I mean I really 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 liked the way that they presented their, um, their information. I, and I guess at this time, uh, you know, if I can have someone from Warjax, w- what did you think about that?
2: Yeah. I mean, so I agree with you. It was, it, and I think that's a, been a trend for privateer press within the last, maybe like six months or so, just them being more public facing with their prime cast. And then, you know, just being a little bit more like letting us see behind the curtains a little bit is just really, really nice. So I think, i agree with you the article was not only really well written but like gave a lot of insight yeah yes agreed it was we we needed it so
1: yeah i think uh i think it could have spread out some that was a monster was of an a article, article.
0: <laughs> yeah i don't know about but, you uh, but i had to go read that over like multiple sittings that was a doozy of an article same
1: yeah for sure
2: I do think because it was so big, it feels like some and it doesn't even feel like it's confirmed because we've been seeing like messages and stuff. But I think some people are still unclear about the structure of the formats and like what's legal, what's not, what's what to expect from releases moving forward. And it 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 does pretty clearly spell it out, but it's kind of hard to, you know, extract what exactly is happening from the article. Yeah, it feels like
5: everybody at PP, their job right now is just be on a lot of social media platforms just for hours of their day right
4: well even in discord right it's the trash panda discord they have like the ask a privateer channel they're like answering stuff in there all hours of the day
0: yeah but what about everybody's thoughts on like the new structures you know of, of moving forward because the, the instead of like you know factions and themes we now have what the factions, the armies and the cadre I, I actually just realized, uh, I found out that it's a French word, it's actually pronounced Cadre, so we're butchering it over here. Just, just say Cadre.
4: <laughs> Speaking okay. the Queen's English over here. You
5: know I mean? <laughs> um. So so for me, factions are really, I, I gravitate towards an aesthetic, a flavor, something that I really want to see cohesive. So for me, I may only buy maybe one army in this, maybe two, when it comes to what Mark IV is, because I don't. Feel like they're concentrating on one large cohesive faction with themes inside of it they're kind of splitting everything off and saying this is its own army with its own flavor and there's going to be smaller armies with maybe the cadres that kind of mix in between them
0: hey but like what do you think about the decision of doing it because i i kind of like the idea that you they can focus on an army like house dusk and be like okay this is what we're working on from now we're good and we're done now we can go work on the next army Uh, or i don't know maybe even like figure out like cadre that end up or yeah, yeah the cadre that end up working for the two different armies like what do you think i i think it's like really cool it, it provides really clear direction and you know keeps the scope of these armies really limited or at least very direct i think cadres are going to be
5: sort of pseudo mercs and i think that's a really good idea because you're not gonna be able to work on because the, there's going to be more armies than there probably are factions at some point
3: i think that this is a kind of elegant way to somewhat change back to the list building from Mark II, where you could take pretty much anything that you needed from the available models in your faction, except at this point, it'll be take whatever you want in this army. Um, But with the addition of cadre, you are able to get it, you know, get that specific tool. Like Signar might have a gun mage's cadre, and, and they would say, like, well, I need something accurate that can, they can take these blocking models away and maybe deal with uh, a light armored unit. I can grab them and put them in and they can slot into my army to, like, help adjust and fix what the army does against certain matchups and stuff.
2: Yeah. And just going off of what Dan was just saying, if the cadres function anything like they do in Warcaster... It'll be interesting because if I'm not mistaken, if you take the, the all the models in the cadre are available to your army, right? If you take all of those models in the cadre, you get a bonus. So I'm curious to see if that translates over to Mark 4.
1: Hmm. Honestly, I think the best part of what they're doing is they're just going to prevent themselves from running into what has happened. Like they're not going to have to remove 1300 SKUs because If you want to play Storm Legion after, what, six months, 12 months, like they're not getting another release, right? Like they're not coming back, adding another warjack, another caster, like for all, maybe they do more cadres. I don't actually know if they're going to keep adding those to the factions, but like you're done, right? So you can either grab another army if you want, or at least know that like I'm faction or I'm army complete and I don't have to worry about power creep in my own models and
4: yeah the only thing i guess if like the way i look at it and compare it to so we look at like gw games so if i look at you know age of sigmar you have you know death destruction order chaos So like for me i play skaven so i look at you know your faction being you know chaos and then from there you have skaven skaven tide then you have your individual clans which would be your armies at this point so like clan pestilence eshin Skyre, etc and then um your cadre would be like your like your battalion so your sets you know, models from a different sect or whatever it is that gets these special bonuses as long as you take them all together as like a minimum. So that's like in my head canon, that's how I'm kind of looking at this new hierarchy of, you know, factions, armies, etc.
0: Well, let's go ahead and move on to the next point. How about the app? And you know what? I would love to have Warjax take the lead on this part. What do you think about the app?
2: Yeah. So I think for me personally, the new app is probably the most important piece of this whole announcement. And it's funny because like in my disc, I, I get, you know how if you have an iPhone, you get your notification. I get mine on, on Sunday mornings. It tells you like your screen time. I posted this in my Discord. My my screen time is down forty seven percent because I haven't opened War Room. Like since since the Mark 4 <laughs> announcement, I'm I'm just like super hyped for Mark 4 You know, for for I don't think I'm alone in experiencing this, but like I'm I'm just I'm ready for that new new. And so I haven't opened War Room, and I spent so much time in War Room. And Brandon and I, you know, both being in technology, and like we always talk about the app. We always talk about how important it is, and and it really like War Room is pretty good it has its bugs but like i think it's a good app and it's it's functionally good for like list building and like storing your armies and stuff like that so my hope for the new app is that like it just is awesome and it does everything that we all feel like the new app should do and and reading the article i think what excites me most is it seems like privateer press is really trying to gather data from the app which like that's i think that's so important for them to to get those data points and be able to like analyze and make decisions off of real user feedback from the app. I took
5: it for granted that we, that they didn't, that they couldn't collect data from this app. I'm sitting here building lists and going, if I just keep building lists with bad casters, maybe they'll never fix them. Who knows? Maybe they, maybe they think they're good. I don't know.
3: (laughs) So coming from, a background in computer science and IT. I've always felt that uh, War Room was kind of like a sluggish implementation, but maybe I've just had bad phones. You know, I think that for my part in it, I I care for having cards at the table more than an app because I spend a lot of my day staring at a screen to begin with. So when I go and play this game, I want to unplug And I want something more analog, so I prefer using cards uh, with little screen protectors and markers for my damage. I would like to see that continue to be supported. The stat cards, along with the Warjacks, are what initially drew me to this game. Because I never wanted to play a game that had a codex and a textbook that I had to read while I was trying to play this game. But everything punched out right there on that stat card for you was a huge sell for me. And I really want that to be uh, part of the game that continues forward.
5: I learned the game on in Mark III, so I learned it using Warham 2. So it wasn't like a, a different thing for me. I'm actually really looking forward to the new app. I I will happily pay 4.99 for lore dumps monthly. I don't really the cloud storage thing is a little bit different for me because I only really use one device for storing my armies anyway so it doesn't really make a difference but there's been a lot of promises with the new app um with army sharing with your opponents and everything i really hope it's everything they're they're saying it is because i will happily
0: use it constantly personally what i really love about the new app is that it has everything so you won't have to go buy all the faction decks in order to you know while your opponent is doing their turn you go and take a look at their stats of their you know warlock or warcaster to try to set up for an assassination or you know oh, which one of these models had counter charge again or, or something like that i just like the fact that you have access to everything, and it, it just it makes the game a lot, I guess, more friendly. And then also, y- you, can go, you can go somewhere to take a look at all the rules before you even go hard with one of these new factions. So I love it. I think that this application, this new War Machine app, is going to be a game changer.
1: The uh, good news for you, Dan, is the lead developer did say they were going to make cards from the app printable.
3: Hell yeah. All right, oh. I'm sold. On a kink goes. <laughs> I everything else about this app is like really aggressive though. You know, they're they're targeting to do a lot with this, and it's a like a full scale overhaul of what War Room 2 is even currently capable of. You know, I'm excited to see what they really turn out here.
2: I think I'm excited too of so like the idea, I don't mind buying the card packs, right? Like it's it is what it is. Like you're you know, you're supporting Privateer Press in the game, but I think it's more exciting that it, they got a little bit more business savvy in doing the subscription model. It's like, you know, you have that constant revenue stream and that's war machine money. Like, you know, so like they'll know like, hey, we're making X dollars from this app every month if it does well. So
5: it's also I, an incentive that that subscription model is also an incentive for them to keep adding to yes. that app to make it worth a subscription mm-hmm. for more and more people.
4: Yeah, and if and if we can kind of look at the successful Iron Kingdoms Kickstarters as like a you know, like a sounding board of how successful this subscription model is gonna be. Like I, I plan on 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 going in on the monthly subscription as well. I think I think it was smart and I think it's gonna be very successful.
0: And you know what I'd like to do right now is is to go on to the next point. So Matt Wilson in his article said evolve or die. And yeah, I, I don't wanna go down I mean, I guess we can go down this rabbit hole, but like, what do you think the game would have been like if we just would have continued business as normal? It's Mark three, or we're going to be keep on designing this Mark three process. What do you think the game, the community as a whole would have looked like? I don't know, like now, like two to three years from now,
3: I feel like it would feel like a lot uh, similar to the end of Mark two into the beginning of Mark three, because with a wide game like War Machine, they do have some tiny little you know, cracks in the sidewalk here and there. And as the edition grows older and older and matures even more, you tend to see those start to widen. It happened near the end of Mark II. There were some things in the game that definitely needed to be addressed to avoid a negative play experience in some cases. And they overhauled those things in the next edition. So you can just kind of feel the strain on the game engine after a while and mark 4 is starting to feel like for me a uh, refreshing of that and uh, like a almost a panacea
5: i think from the from a revival perspective post covid i think mark 3 has been doing really really well with a established player base probably not as well as it could have been with you know getting new blood into the game but I think we all have to remember that they're not physically capable of making a lot of their old models. Like they they don't really have an option other than what they chose to do, and they explained that to us very clearly.
1: I mean, I think uh I think a year or two down the line from our perspective because you know we're going to all these tournaments and everything, we're going to think that the game looks like it's doing great, but I believe we're such a minority of what war machine players could be um like with mark 4 you're gonna go back to like i who i mean we're maybe like 95 percent of people just go buy models at their store and go play at home on the kitchen table we have no idea who those people are right and they're probably the larger like revenue stream for privateer press and I think going forward, it's going to probably just explode for them unless it doesn't work out. But I, I think those are like the two options. I don't think there's a middle ground.
4: The only thing that I would say with kind of, um, you know, with they're releasing the uh, like the army boxes and you're good to go is to kind of take a look at the landscape of what's going on economically right now. So it, it might be difficult to you know, you're going to have that initial, what, $200 cost to get an army box, but then you're good to go. And you're not spending what on average to start in Mark 1 or Mark 2 or Mark 3, you know, hundreds to like my cater army, that's over $1,000 right there. So when you talk about evolve or die, I think... It's good that they're kind of taking a look at what's going, you know, on and the fact that you can just have this initial investment by your army box and you're good to go.
0: Yeah, but you know what I wanted to actually like highlight is the change to – well, I guess the evolution, the change to 3D printing models. I think that that's great. And, you know, I like go back to like the whole – thing the international shipping it was a pain in the ass in order to get these products overseas i think that this is great craig didn't you like have somebody on your show like a a short while ago that talked about having to proxy everything because they didn't have access to like any of the new models uh
2: i think that was um dan from chaos born
0: yeah, 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 yeah. It's just because they didn't end up having the stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So, no, he, up all the attorneys man. Yeah, he, he <laughs> said it. I I think over there in the UK they really struggled to get stuff, so they proxy like everything. Yeah, I know, right? And and I mean, like, I just think it was a great decision because I mean, now like, privateer press can set up shops in the UK, Australia, anywhere in order to go ahead and make these models, and you know, and then they're not paying those international shipping fees. I think that this was a smart move by them you know it might be an expensive like initial cost but just think about how much money they're going to be saving down the line and the fact that you have people that are able to go and buy these things now like oh man i am super super happy with this change and i wonder if other you know companies will you know, follow suit
3: they could open up a shed in like every country in europe and stick like six 3d printers in it and they'd have a pretty good supply <laughs> chain going. i
5: don't know if that's the best idea but
3: Maybe something better than a shed, I guess. I don't know.
5: Hey, how about some Conaxes? I'm not the best hobbyist in the world. Drilling out a model for a rod or a magnet terrifies me. When I bought that for $50, and I don't want to ruin it. So these being easier to assemble, I'm really looking forward to.
0: Yeah, and you know what I was really super excited about was the magnification. When I saw, I think it was like Matt Wilson's video of like the magnets just clicking in a place, it was so satisfying to watch. And I was like, yes, I want this. I, and I guess like the last point I would like to go ahead and make is how about the timeline? I absolutely love the timeline. I think the last time I remember seeing something similar to that, I, I think maybe it was like the CIDs when they said like these are the next CIDs that we have planned like coming down the, the, the line. I mean, this timeline, it was just so great.
4: So the timeline thing, when I saw it, I first thought of that like crazy Disney Marvel, like this is phase four of our movies or whatever the hell they're up to now. <laughs> that was my first initial thought. No, I'm glad about the timeline. Some of the, I guess, criticisms that I've been hearing is like, oh, like, like that's it. I'm like, what do you mean that's it? Like you're getting something every month or every other month. So it kind of puts out those expectations for me as a customer of their product. I was happy to... Um, see the timeline. With the release of... I don't know if it was release of Mark 2 or Mark 3 where the announcement... Like, which one had the cinematic trailer?
0: The one during their Primecast Plus?
4: The No, the cinematic trailer, I'm sorry, with Haley and Denegra. Uh,
3: Mark 3, I believe.
4: That was Mark 3. So... So some of what I've been again I wasn't here for it but some of the feedback that I've been seeing online is with the release like with with a trailer or something a little bit bigger media wise that Mark Ford didn't isn't having the same sort of media release
2: yeah i kind of i, I it feels like the announcement was more directed toward current players in my mind i agree with that 100 like they explained to us like what the reasoning and it's and we needed that like like you said that cinematic like boom like and i feel like it was you know since we're talking about the timeline like i i don't think the time the, so it's great like i agree like seeing that like long timeline and there's just like littered with war machine everywhere it's like yes it's like a dream come true i don't think it's aggressive enough i think you needed to launch with four factions and i think the announcement could have been timed in such a way like at an event or to where it's like boom mark four's here here's your four factions buy it today and try
4: it yeah i guess that's that yeah thanks craig yeah that's kind of where my head was going with it like more of a bigger like i don't know if pps this feels reserved to me for a huge big addition announcement so maybe we're waiting until october when it's more stre- when it's more fleshed out but um it this just seems a little
3: muted to me Agreed. given yeah, the time of the year oh, i'm really surprised they didn't wait another month and drop this at gen con yeah. Yeah, it
5: does seem weird you want you really want the hype to be there when you uh when you're actually releasing the models. And I think I agree with you, Craig, where you want the you want the beginnings of the game to be complete so you don't have the only prime armies
2: are Signar and Orgoth and they are the only ones who can play against each other, that kind of thing. Yeah, and I think, you know, you I don't think you want to give people the opportunity to like think about it. You know? It's like you want them to be like, oh shit, Mark IV is here. It's like literally in front of me. I wanna I'm gonna buy it and try it. Like I have to and now like it got announced, we have to wait like what really until October before it's in most people's hands. I know they're selling some at Gen Con, which I will definitely try to order if, if possible. But, um, you know, the, the, like there's that like wait period of, of like, you know, and, and I've said this, I think, I don't know if I mentioned it on our podcast or, or whatever, but like you only have that one chance to make that announcement and, and capture that like impact. And I feel like it may have fallen just a little flat.
5: Yeah, it might be even a little bit longer because, you know, a lot of the larger events, the Nova's, the, the Boker Brawl, all of that, it's all going to be Mark Three until the end of the year. So,
1: Right. I, I do hope um, that we do get like a big surprise when we get the beta app in October and that the Legacy Prime Armies are actually kind of interesting. Because I, I was talking to Sean a bit today about it and I was like, you know, I'm down with just showing up with Crucible Guard or something, right? Like, if, if you, I, I think the Signar models look great. So I'm going to buy Signar. But if I was a Dusk player or uh, wanting to see the Warlocks next year, I think I would really give a shot with like what they do with our current legacy models in Prime. And if you're like most people, you're probably just playing locally. You can play Unlimited. Like, no one's, it's all going to be the same rules. So I think that was, that's a ton of work for them, but a really good middle ground. Uh, just to keep the regular, just show up at the store and play people happy.
0: You know, I think it's really interesting. You know, and I'm going to go back to that timeline for a second. Right. And, and they did have those four releases. Right. They had Storm Legion, Orgoth, Kador, Winter Corps and House Dusk. Right. Well, look, you know what I would end up like saying or, you know, like what's like some players would say, cool, you have these four. Well, what else is there? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it, it, it's just like, you know, we're like super excited about it. But, you know, I, I think that it was actually smart the way that they ended up doing it because, mm-hmm. you know, like playing devil's advocate, if they didn't end up meeting this deadline, if it's like something similar, like, you know, like the, the slow roller from the Kickstarters. And I mean, like that had its own, you know, set of issues. I, I think that this cautious approach was probably the best decision that they could have done. And then that way, if this pace works out, then they can start to ramp it up
4: we would also want to make sure that it's it's a good product that's coming out too. so we could like to go back with Paul's point. Sure, we could quick release these four factions, but let's say they're unplayable or imbalanced, and then we're just rushing to get models out on the table i mean that's not that's not conducive either.
0: Yeah. And I mean, like, depending on that experience, you might end up getting people that would just wipe their hands clean and, like, this is Mark IV, I'm out. So, yeah, going back, I think this, if it's, we can call it a cautious advance, I think it's probably the best decision that they could make. And who knows, like, what's going to be coming down the line.
3: Yeah. I, th- I said earlier that I thought the changes to the app were aggressive. And I look at this roadmap and I see that uh, it's a bit more conservative. Uh, so, what I'm seeing here is that they're just making sure that they, don't miss a deadline, that what they are promising in this transparency letter is that going to be what they deliver on. And these are manageable achievements. Uh, This is a good little pizza tracker
2: for sure. (laughs) Yeah. And to your point, like they, they put it on paper, you know, like, so maybe, you know, they, it will like the timeline, the deadlines, you know, really can't be missed or it'll hurt a lot if they're missed. So maybe they, are in a position where they feel really confident about it and so confident that they're like, let's, let's put this all on paper and
0: put it out there. Hey, hey you know what I wanted to do? And I wish I, um, I wish I had it. Can, can someone like, like pull up the, uh, the calendar real fast? Cause I'm trying to remember like the dates of like the releases. And, and the last one I remember is like dusk, I think was, was April. Is someone sharing it right now? I'm sharing it. All right, cool. Thanks. Yeah. 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 Look, look, look at it. Right. So if you go take a look from like You know, April to August, there's nothing there. I'm not a soothsayer. I do not know the future, but I mean, that's a lot of months for stuff to potentially be, you know, eventually coming out. Fair point. Yeah. And I mean, like, and I think back because I'm going to be playing Dusk. Like, if you go take a look at these other factions, you know, Signar, Cador, and Orgoth, they're getting all their boxes and bells and whistles and you know dusk is only getting a starter box in april and i have to wait like what like another year i i don't think so i i i don't know i think that there might be some more stuff that's coming down the line again it's just speculation but i i'm just i'm looking at what they're not showing us at this point but uh, you know who knows maybe they're going to be using that time in order to go ramp up stuff for like You know, Neo Mechanica, Riot Quest, or Iron Kingdoms or something like that.
3: I think that what we're going to end up seeing is that that chart is going to continue. Like you said, there's a lot of months in that gap there. And if you base it on this pattern, you know, they're coming out with one or two product releases every single month. If that continues, your uh, starter set's going to release in the start of April. You might have the next box by the end of April or... The next faction might get a starter set by the end of April. It just means they haven't necessarily committed to that on paper yet. But based on this pattern, there might just be a ton more product releases that just keep churning out.
4: Yeah, and this goes back to the uh, to the expectations, too. It's 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 going to take, a, you know, some time for all this stuff to get online.
2: Fire boys, please. I um also wanted to mention, too, like it, it makes total sense, like if looking at the timeline from a business perspective, like. Ramping up going into Q4, like with a new edition, just ready to rip through Christmas is like probably a really, really smart move. So, mm-hmm.
0: so with that, I actually wanted to go and, you know, move on to the final part of this you know, episode is to talk about the rules changes. And instead of just going through all the rules step by step by step, uh, Andy and I ended up playing one of those uh, beta tests that, uh, that, that private Press you know, released the rules for. And I just wanted to highlight, you know, the things that I thought were great, the, the things that, you know, it seemed a little bit rough and, and, you know, I know Craig, you said that you didn't get a game in, but feel free to chime in uh, whenever you'd like to. And Brandon too. It, it, like I have to say, first of all, I'm going to preface it with this. I love the fact that they gave us, you know, a little bit of a sneak peek of the beta rules. So we knew what was going to be coming down the line. I think that this was great because that way we can see, you know, how the game's going to be changed and, you know, what what it's going to be like playing it going forward. And it, it almost feels like an open beta, you know, like what you do with video games. So, I mean, I, I made my notes and I ended up shooting an email to Privateer Press on, you know, what I ended up experiencing in my game. And it, it was cool. It was great. But, but I wanted to start off by talking about the first game changer that I saw was the removal of facing. I have to say, I absolutely loved this because I was playing Cricks, Andy was playing his protectorate, and my Banes were able to go after whatever they needed to. I was able to go charge the things that are in front of me, behind me, you know, whatever, and it was just great. And I think even my war caster, Agathea, she was able to swing at two guys that I don't think she would have been able to attack both of them if she had that... Uh, One eighty restriction that we had before but i 'd love for someone to i mean if anyone wants to chime in on the you know removal of facing and what they think about it
3: I do I um okay. because it 's very similar to some other games that i 've been seeing like uh and I can see evidence of this later in the uh, the changes as well. I played a game called Gill Ball a few years back. They did they had 360 facing on every single miniature. And currently, I'm also playing a lot of uh, Marvel Crisis Protocol, also 360 degree, degree vision. And my impression coming from those games is that they lead to movement uh, dynamics for miniatures that are a little bit more a little bit more free a little bit more. You know, it doesn't lack precision. It just You know, gives you a a little bit of uh, generous wiggle room to work with rather than having to be, uh, you know, so laser focused that it really creates a restriction on the time it takes to move things.
5: I was initially very much against the removal of facing because I really like there to be tactical decision to be made on like everything when it comes to this game like say somebody's ambushing do you turn your models to the side of the board in anticipation of that and show your back to your opponent those kind of decisions are really important to me but on the other side there are some really good upsides to removing a facing when you need to get models base to base and there's a lot of you know mulg's giant stick is three inches over his base like it's just not going to happen so i think it makes the game a little cleaner i think i think it's overall positive change
2: i'm right there with you i my thoughts were i I, when i saw this i was like i hate this like i I love facing i love arcs and brandon and sean kind of talked me off that ledge and I, i you know i haven't played it yet but um i i agree like i think it's 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 it makes sense right it modernizes things it cleans things up and it lines up with what feels like their overall vision which is just to like make things cleaner and faster and
0: yeah, hey, Andy, Um, how about whenever we uh play our games and, you know, I, I power attack headbutt and I always decide to face the model that I'm headbutting? Yeah, you figured it out. <laughs> Just
4: face, I'm bad at that. Face, face know, my so
0: table hard. edge, man.
5: Just face my table edge. You don't have to face backwards all
0: the time. No, I must look at this model that I'm headbutting.
4: So... One thing that uh, when I was observing, so I was filming the game that Paul and Andy were playing, is to kind of go back, I think it was Lauren's interview. I remember when she was talking about, that uh, was a Dynasty Tactics where you have like the um, you, you, the video game, you know, that that goes and then it, it zooms into combat. Big
3: hack and slash battles.
4: Yeah. <laughs> um, So um, my head kind of goes with that, especially when it comes to troop movement, like, oh, my troopers teleported. And The way I'm looking at it right now is instead of looking at my models as individual troopers or men moving on the field is it is a unit in combat, like, and I'm looking at it at a more strategic organizational level, not right there on the battlefield, if that makes sense.
3: Yeah, to me, it feels a bit video gamey. But yes. like you have this group of guys and like in advance wars, all the tanks become one tank when it goes to the cutscene mm-hmm. and like they mm-hmm. all clump up together and then they walk one line down towards where they're going and they unpack when they get there. But it's yeah. novel and kind of exciting.
4: Yeah, and that's and that's kind of helping with uh, my headspace wrapping around it. Where before, you know, Mark III, it's so you know each model, each character is its own like thing, right there in the battlefield. Now, here's me as a commander taking a step back and looking at it at a more strategic, higher
3: echelon, abstracted so a bit. Yeah, yeah.
5: Yeah, yeah this was my point. big
2: sticking point. Go ahead, Craig. No, I was just going to say, e- Erica, you just saying that, like, it kind of made me view it through a different lens. It's like, because my question was like, why, why, why only units get to do this? And and to your point, it was kind of like, well, units are like really the only models in the game that are a unit, like everything else is like a solo, right? Or a, you know, a, you know, whatever. So it make, it kind of makes sense that units are unique now. And operate a little differently.
3: Craig's right. Everything used to be an individual object or person. And now you have that maintained with the, you know, solos, jacks, casters or commanders now, but units do have a completely different dynamic now. And that's cool.
5: Yeah. Just from our, our one playtest game so far, it's, this is the biggest sticking point for me where it, this being a war game, it, I really want everything to be an object, a physical thing on the battlefield so this is a little bit more streamlined than I would be used to for this kind of game. It almost feels board gamey, but maybe that's the intention is to simplify it in that way.
0: Yeah, but we have to talk about the elephant in the room, which was during our game. And Andy, you can go ahead and take the lead on this one with your you know, exemplar errants that were, what was it, like 18 inches away from each other? Oh, God yeah right
5: <laughs> i have I take this, a
4: picture
0: yeah i have posted
5: this everywhere i don't know whether you guys heard about this but i posted this everywhere to try to find someone who could say who says this is not legal so my errants would sacrifice movement and stand still they're all two inches away from each other they now they they get serenia's battle plan repo they repo three The following turn they Sack movement to aim and do not teleport two inches to any individual model and then repo an additional three all the way from each other again i do this for three turns and now i have a single unit with no command cohesion because there isn't any more and now they're all 12 inches from each other and his banes can only attack one at a time
3: <laughs> it was the uh expanding universe of of erence
5: essentially yeah
0: yeah, and and I have to say, like I, uh, like it, being on the receiving end of it, I don't think that this was right because when the errants got so far away from each other, because of how my bane's operated, they were only able to attack one errant at a time, and it just was not effective in order to go do that unit versus unit fighting. So I I, I don't think I think this is something that might have been missed. I I don't know. It it, it didn't feel right. I totally agree. I don't think that should be legal, which is why I was trying really hard to
5: find someone that had read it differently.
3: We do have to keep in mind that what they posted was a beta document. So there's no expectation here that that is going to be the rules in the final position that they exist in. This is probably like exactly what they're looking for, right, in doing Mm -hmm. that. Uh, I don't know that they're really actually doing a like public beta test. I don't know that they're really recording feedback on games at this time. I think they already have those changes made, but like that documents at the printer, this is the one they had six months ago that. You know, they're basically, this is the thing that looks like a PDF. Everything else is just going to be, you know, files on some back system that we haven't, you know, checked for spelling errors yet even. So that's not ready for public vision, but, you know, they can give us the one they had a couple of weeks ago. Um, You know, I expect, I expect changes.
4: I would... Just say from with beta testing again. On uh, to Dan's point, this might have been an older document. Maybe something got left out in the version that was released as well. You know, I would say for people who are out there that are beta testing this stuff, take pictures of stuff that's like you know weird that you're questioning, and then add that um, supporting documentation to your inquiries to Privateer Press or re um what do you call it boot up a war table and take screenshots of that like hey this is what happened in my game is this correct or this is something that i found you know just to help this process
0: yeah i agree but was there like anything else that you think was bad I, i mean i'll say this the endless repoing was jarring like i that that was just ridiculous but i mean was there anything else like erica or dan did you notice that was weird
4: so um, big thank you to Dan and his Swath friends for hooking us up with some 3D terrain. So one thing we really wanted to highlight in our bat rep, so our this beta game will be on a tried and true battle report sometime very soon, um, is we wanted to feature 3D terrain. And the type of terrain we had, we had uh, ladders, stairs, we had two elevated obstructions that you could get on, and a catwalk. So a couple things that were to note, one, a lot of people or Paul and Andy were very hesitant to use elevated terrain because it's something that we're not used to using. So as I was filming their game, I saw them, you know, I don't know, purposely, but avoiding using the stairs or the ladder to get up. It wasn't until I think like turn three where I'm like, Paul, run your gun mage up there so we can put it on the camera. The other issue that we came uh, across for the very first time was model volume. So Andy had a heavy jack and we had this catwalk. Well, hey, Hey, can this warjack walk under this catwalk, or is he too tall? and it ended up when we measured the height of the um the catwalk to the jack, yeah, sure enough, the jack wouldn't be able to fit under there based off of the new rules in this beta document. so as someone that's that's watching this beta game as well as you know making notes and trying to implement all this new stuff, it brought up some very interesting uh questions. So my biggest concern is, one, are we going to keep seeing the rehashing of a lot of Mark III terrain because people just don't want to deal with 3D terrain? Or is privateer press going to somehow incentivize their players to start playing with, you know, new dynamic elevated terrain?
1: So I was just going to say in Mark II, this was very much also a thing and people just don't play with it. They just add some hills. And I believe that's the extent of what, at least from when we played, I believe, uh, I, I definitely never played with, like, cool builds.
5: Yeah, I think in War Machine like specifically, that. you need, there needs to be a reason to use it. And I don't think there's a big enough advantage for sacrificing movement to climb up a ladder to be at a higher vantage point where you can still get picked off. Relatively I'm going to put a
4: flag on it next time. That's what I'm going to do. Like, I think oh, if do oh, yeah, like, go. put a yeah. flag on it.
2: Yeah,
5: like, force
3: like, them there. there my experience matches what they were saying about how nobody ended up using it at least back in Mark 2 aside from like really narrative scenarios or like something you would see at a convention or you know part of a league that was being performed you wouldn't really have these grand buildings you might get a hill or a rock or something but you know there was typically no penalty to enter that space you're just climbing the hill it's just normal movement having a restriction or like a climbing mechanic is kind of new and yeah, it's almost disincentivizing you to climb up there to get that plus two defense against ranged attacks. And you know, I know that there are going to be some hobbyists out there that are going to cringe at elevated terrain because they're going to accidentally knock a miniature off and its paint job is going to get scratched. So that is a concern for a lot of the community, too.
2: And it'll take a power 12, too. Insult
3: to injury. Oh, God. <laughs>
2: yeah i was just gonna say well two things one is like so part of me thinks this rule isn't for us you know i think this is in place so that new players like two friends buy the battle box for the first time they get it on the table they're using some like 40k terrain or something like oh yeah i can get up here like they're we're opening that door for that like level you know more scenario or narrative play and then 100 percent I you will uh I had my heavy war jacket. We were playing Warcaster on a on a piece <laughs> of elevated terrain and it's the one I forget what it's called, but it's got all of like the spiky fans hanging off and I totally shattered it. Like it fell off and broke. <laughs> I,
0: I do wonder if you know because these are the new three D printed resin. I and, and if you go take a look at the assembly of them, right? It was like the legs and then the arms are magnetic and the head is magnetic. I just wonder if these things if there's just less likely to break right like magnets will you know fall off and stuff and you know it's just there's less things you have to go put together i don't know i you know it's right. I, I think it might actually end up being good
4: i'm not putting my warjacks on catwalk <laughs> oh, okay,
5: miss. Was... I'm gonna put flags up there all right whatever
3: <laughs> one thing that i was wondering i i uh, couldn't find anything that kind of restricted a miniature from being able to move underneath the volume of another miniature due to elevation like if your warjack could get under that catwalk and there was something standing on top of it you know what happens in that uh, sort of scenario Mm. you know there's the bases start to overlap um you know they're now within zero inches of each other Mm. um you know they count as base to base yeah and there's all sorts of other things that might come up just because they're you know kind of on top of each other in a 2d space but Not really in a 3D space, so that's going to lead to some interesting uh, interactions, perhaps. And the other one that I was wondering about is that you know there's there's this like restriction on where units are placed at the end of their movement, right? And there's a restriction on climbing onto these elevated surfaces. But what if your moving unit leader parks his butt next to the side of this building? Can I? Place a grunt on top of the building. He just teleports up there.
0: I don't think that's how that works. I, I think there's actually like a ruling that they have to be within two inches, or they just get destroyed. I think.
4: Yeah, because you have to. Yeah, you have to count your but like the horizontal inches that it would take for that model to go up the steps. Let's
5: well, go. Let's go. Let's go somewhere positive. Does anyone hate command cards? I love command I love cards. Love command cards. I huge, huge thumbs up for me. Why do you think that they work so
0: well? Marvel Crisis Protocol has these. They're fantastic. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. But I mean, like, why? Why do you think that they work so well? I mean, it, this—it seems like a novel idea. But why do you think that that they worked out? I—I'll I, just say this: like, I—I I love the fact that during that list building. And then it's like, okay, I have to go figure out like what little tiny benefits I need for a turn. And and going up against Andy, I think they were the errants, right? They're the ones that have the um, the the crossbows, right? Well, my banes don't have stealth. Well, being able to give them stealth for a turn or then giving them cover, it was just enough in order to make sure that these models were able to be delivered safely. And, and I just thought that that was an incredible idea.
1: In yeah, Mark feels two, had stealth.
3: <laughs> <laughs> they don't need stealth come on they don't need that <laughs> like one one turn a game is the perfect solution right yeah and you can do that on any one of your things so it really helps like ever so slightly, patch up some of your worst matchups probably and mm-hmm. and i think it's going to this and like warjack customization and racks as we're going to co- talk about probably are The things that are going to cut down on that rock, paper, scissorsy feeling that this game can sometimes have at a tournament play level. You know, I like my list A counters your list A, but your list A counters my list B like, oh, God, what's happening? You can you can shore up those weaknesses at the last minute right when you see what you're about to fight. And I think it's an excellent way to get everything on the level.
5: Yeah, especially when list building seems to be like it's going to be a little bit more limited when it comes to the size of the armies you're going to have available. Like for me, playing the exemplar theme, exemplars are allergic to anything that shoots ever at all. So I'm taking that cover card and the stealth card and giving that to two units on the way in. And that really helps just get the models where they need to go and kind of makes the list work where in Mark III it definitely wouldn't have worked.
2: I love them. I have. Yeah. I take no issue with the command cards. I think I agree with everything that was said. It was there. Yeah. It, it is
0: awesome. <laughs> yeah, and and then. Let's actually go ahead and talk about the um, the the rack spells, because to Dan's point earlier, I think that they're just another layer that can help. Was it like Band-Aid shore up some of the uh, weaknesses in your list? Like, I don't know, like I'm going up against more heavy, so I'm going to need more of a beat stick as opposed to a, a gun guy or
3: or I'll change from that one slug gun to the other gun that's got like rate of fire D3. You know, like, I need to kill an extra couple dudes this game.
0: Yeah, but uh, actually earlier, Erica and I were talking off to the side. She brought up a really funny point. <laughs> you should actually uh, share that.
3: Oh, yeah.
4: So did you guys see the picture of, I think it was the guy putting together mm. the Signar Jack, the Light Jack, and the Heavy Jack, the picture? Okay. That that me everyone else anxiety? Because I'm like, okay, how am I going to transport, store, and organize, like, all these accessories? <laughs> it reminds me of, like, Dollhouse a little bit be and those heads, pieces. yeah those heads are yeah. so small
3: it's definitely i'm not energy. gonna
4: change my head out so don't yeah. like question me on it
3: you gotta use the malibu um, barbie head
4: but yeah so that was i think it's great that you can customize i think that's like super 10 out of 10 i'm really happy for it i'm just thinking about oh god that's gonna suck to transport and not lose and <laughs> Keep it all square.
3: There's also so many cool things that they can do with like character jacks in this. Or like you can even, you know, in the RK RPG, they had like you can upgrade your jack's cortex and now it's got like plus one mat and some cool special ability. You know, they can just say, you know, we could publish, you know, command cards in the future that, you know, upgrade this jack to the character cortex that comes with your warcaster, and then he gets to do cool stuff. Um, there's so many things that they can do with this. It's like the world is wide open. Yeah,
2: I just imagine being in War Room and like has like the shell of the Jack, and you're able to like drag and drop, and like your points are adjusting. It's just like that. That whole game is going to be great. I shouldn't say War Room. The War Machine app, the mini game, mm-hmm, the mini game.
0: Yeah, but I have to say, like, I think overall the the rules for Mark 4 are in an excellent direction. I mean, there's a couple of things that probably still need a little bit of polish, but. I think overall, the game is working in the, you know, moving in the right direction. Does, does anybody have any other final comments before we roll up the uh, podcast on any other rules that we may have missed?
3: Yeah, I think we actually forgot to talk about the other novel thing for terrain. Rough terrain being, oh, I touched it. It's minus two speed or minus two to my, my movement currently is mm. excellent because I think it solves like 90% of the cases where you're probably losing about two inches of movement anyway. With the current rules, we have to start dividing your movement by two and all this strange math starts to happen. Um,
5: Good for you. Math's good for you.
3: Oh, ugh, I hate it. Next makes my skin crawl. <laughs> actually, War Machine was the thing that made me stop counting on my fingers. So, you know, <laughs> in, in those other corner cases where you're only going to lose like an inch and a quarter or and that really actually matters are going to be much more rare. So uh, an easy to calculate flat minus two to whatever your current movement is, is just an awesome, elegant way to speed up that overly precise measurement that you used to see.
5: It does feel a little bit goofy when you just barely graze some grass and that makes you have minus two movement. But I mean, I think it's a much cleaner application of using rough terrain than having to figure out. Like, you're spending five minutes trying to figure out how much movement you actually have. And as a protectorate player, I don't have anything that helps me get through that anyway. So,
4: did they also talk about if, like, if I slam or push you mm-hmm. into rough terrain, do how's that movement figured out
1: it's not affected by rough terrain
4: oh so they just they go so if i push you three inches you go three inches regardless if you're in the woods or not
1: right i believe it takes two speed off is what what the terrain does right
5: oh, gotcha, so the speed status doesn't happen during an out-of-activation movement anyway. So
1: yeah. yeah, but it specifically in the rulebook calls out, like, power attacks that move you will not be affected by that.
0: Yeah, yeah, but uh, you know what, I think overall, I mean, just reiterating what I said earlier, I think Privateer Press is going in the right direction for Mark IV, and I'm really excited to be getting some games in, and, you know, this open beta playtest, I hope that they end up taking the, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Feedback? Yeah, thank you, yeah, the feedback, and like for what we're like seeing and you know how we can make it the improvements to make it the best version possibly be i guess with that that's going to go ahead and wrap us up for this episode um you know craig and brandon was there anything that you wanted to share or any announcements you wanted to get out to your fans out there
2: no announcements so just you know head over to youtube and like and subscribe if you like the content and yeah thank you for having us on it was awesome yeah sorry for outnumbering you guys (laughs) that's okay
0: (laughs) all right and then uh dan erica and andy did you have any final comments that you want to go ahead and share
3: i am super excited for the future of war machine i love the new look of the models coming out like everything about this makes me think that this game is headed in the right direction
5: i want to keep grinding mark four games and making sure i can still play god no i don't have anything i'm out (laughs) my brain hurts (laughs)
4: um yeah i guess for closing statements thanks uh and branded for for hanging out with us tonight it's always good to to chat with you fine gentlemen i can't wait to see
5: you guys at nova sorry
4: yeah Yeah, no that's gonna be a lot of fun i would just say going into mark four especially again to kind of hit on what we've already talked about earlier uh, if you're a community leader or just you know, involved with this game and in your gaming group, uh, try to be positive and keep your expectations within the realm of reality. This is going to take a little while. There's gonna be some growing pains with it. So don't, um, you know, don't fret, don't freak. It's not the first time this has happened. It's not gonna be the last time it happens. Um, And every
3: time it does, it gets better.
4: Yeah, and don't forget to stay tuned to our Tried and True Battle Reports for the rest of the year. We are going to be releasing both Mark IV and Mark III Battle Reports until uh, the end of December. So that's all Mark IV from there, baby.
0: And I guess with that, that's going to go ahead and wrap up, I guess, a bonus episode of Tried and True from all of us here in Delaware and in Florida. We, We wish you the best going forward, your games, have fun, and we look forward to Mark IV. So take care everybody. See ya. Bye. Later.
4: Bye.